0: We are in the final week of our series in Romans, praise be to the Lord, which means that this is the last week of winter. Praise be the Lord. Man, like there are some people that enjoy the season of winter. I don't know why. You know, it's not like we have snow, you know, it's, we, don't, we don't have a very enjoyable winter in Australia, it just gets, it just gets cold without the snow. But um i'm glad that spring is just around the corner and we've been studying through the book of romans the letter of romans um, throughout this whole winter Uh, three months gone by pretty quick Um, the letter of romans was written by the apostle paul and he writes this letter to the believers in the city of rome and uh, in this letter which consists of 16 chapters. For the first 11 chapters, Paul outlines the foundational elements of the Christian belief and answers this very question. How does a human, how do we become right with God? Which is the fundamental problem that every human has. That we need to work out how we can be right with our creator. And the answer is found in what we call the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ. And the theme verse was found in Romans 1 16 17. It says this For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, The righteous will live by faith. Faith. This is the fundamental teaching of the Christian faith, that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin and through my faith in Him and Him alone, can we be reconciled with God, made right with God, our relationship made right with God. And Paul systematically explains how this works through the sacrifice of Jesus, the atonement, the substitution, the penalty paid. And that it is by faith alone that we can receive this, faith alone that we can be saved. In the second half of the letter, Romans chapter 12 to 15, Paul then turns the corner and says, Well, if you're right with God, if you're right with God, if you have a right relationship with God, how is it that you should live your life? And he starts to unpack what righteous living is all about. And he brings theology and he brings Christian living practice to the table, puts it all together so that we have a good balance of both. So that we're not just head head knowledge filled Christians with no action, nor are we Christians that do things and don't know why we do them. So that's what Paul does. Now, let me ask you a question. If you were going to start a church, if you were going to build a team to start a church, what kind of people would you use or what kind of people would you choose? Now, five years ago when this church started, I'm going to tell you, I didn't have a choice. Okay? Okay? Whoever God gave, that's who we had. And I am so grateful for that, obviously. The most obvious answer when you are starting a church and you're, like, going to pick and choose who you want, you want people that are full of talent. You want people that are well-networked. You want rich and generous, because rich and not generous, useless, okay? You want people with lots of experience and preferably can speak two, maybe three languages. That's the kind of church team that you would have. But in the last chapter of Romans, I would pick you two. In the last chapter of Romans in 16, Paul's going to finish up his letter. And, And I love this it's a letter. It's a letter. It's not a systematic theology textbook. It's, it's not, you know, it's not doctrine. It's a letter to people. And what Paul does in chapter 16 is that he addresses some of the people that are running the church in Rome, the team in Rome. But what's surprising in this chapter is that it's not necessarily the kind of people that you would, you and I would have picked to start a church. There's this false belief that gospel work should only be carried by a certain type of person. That the work of the gospel, go and make disciples of all nations, should only be done by a certain type of skilled or gifted person. And, and, and this is a false belief. And hopefully through uh, Romans 16, um, hopefully this will just shatter because God's going to use some amazingly different people to do his work. Now, I'm going to read the whole chapter, and I'm going to apologize because the names are a little bit difficult. So if I make it up, I make it up. Okay? Romans sixteen one to 27. Here we go. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon in, of the church of Cetria, I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend, Epenetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet and Philatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend, Starches. Greet Apelles, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those in the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, sorry, Rufus, chosen in the Lord and his mother who, had, who has been a mother to me too. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, and Hermas, and other brothers and sisters with them. Greet Philologos, Julia, Nerus and his sister, and Olympus, and all the Lord's people who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause division and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them, for such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I rejoice because of you. But I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil god of peace the god of peace will soon crush satan under your feet the grace of our lord jesus be with you timothy my co-worker sends his greetings to you as do lucius jason Sosipater, my fellow jews i tertius who wrote down this letter greet you in the lord gaius whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy sends you his greetings. Erastus, who is the city's director of public works, and our brother Quartus send you their greetings. Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ, in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of Of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith. To the only wise God, be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You know, when we read a chapter like that, right? Let's be honest, right? We get to this chapter and we go, "Hmm, skip," whole bunch of names. But can I tell you my experience? Right, when I was first year university, when I was eighteen years old, um. My pastor at the time in our youth group did a six-month series in the book of Romans. I cannot remember any other sermon except for this one. For some reason, Romans 16 stood out. And I can still remember some of the things from that sermon. And I think this is really important because we need to understand every piece of the Bible, every piece of the Bible is given to us by God for a reason. And if, if, if pieces of the Bible, if you can't hear what God is saying to you, it's not that God is not speaking to you. It's that you are not being able to understand. But there are things in here that are so profound that we need to understand. There are four types of people that, that are listed in that first 16 verses about, I guess, the people that God uses for gospel work. Remember, I talked about the team, the team that God would use, right? These are the partners that Paul has. Who can be included in gospel work, right? You've got to remember the context, right? Remember the context of this letter. We're talking about first century Rome. First century Rome where, where slavery is accepted, if not celebrated, where women and children are, are not much higher than just the dogs in the street, right? Massive gaps in recognition in society, different people groups. Let's see who Paul greets, who is who are a part of the work of, of the gospel, the first group of people is this women. Okay, the first thing that we need to understand: the first list of people that stand out out of this list that Paul greet are women. Now you're going to remember, women in that uh, in that society, they uh, they're only just a little bit above children, and children are only just a little bit above dogs. And yet, the gospel is being Uh, spread and shared by these women. Starting off with Phoebe. Now you go, who's Phoebe? Phoebe's the woman that delivered this letter written by Paul to the church in Rome. Right? She was the most, you know, she's the one that actually physically took the letter to the church in Rome. Then you've got people like Mary, Tryphena and Tryphosa, who are most likely twins. That's why their names are very similar. You've got uh, Persis, okay? You've got Rufus's mother, okay? You don't actually know what a name is. It's just Rufus's mother, and that's why it's important when you name your kid, you've got to name them, you know, sensibly, or else you're always just going to be known as Rufus's mother, right? You've got Julia, and you've got uh, Nerissa's sister. Paul takes time to greet and acknowledge these women in the role that they play in the gospel. Now, we live in a very different society today. And yet, we still see, we still see that there are areas in our society where women are not as recognized, maybe not so much in our society in Australia, but around the world. But it's something that Paul uh, really stands out. It really stands out in this letter, his recognition for the women. So that's the first group of people that that Paul recognizes. The second group of people that Paul recognizes are the Gentiles. Now, Paul's a Jew. Okay, Jews and Gentiles, they don't get along. Okay, Jews always consider themselves above and beyond the rest of the world who are Gentiles. And yet, Paul greets the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people that are in gospel work in Rome. He takes time to greet them individually. The gospel is for all nations. And so the work must be conducted in that same way. It's not about majority culture taking their beliefs and enforcing minority culture to adopt their beliefs. But it's the work of Christ who transforms all hearts. And in that transformation, there is no difference. This is what Paul says, there is no difference in Jew and Gentile. And Paul recognizes that. Verse five, uh, a penitent who was a local con- convert into faith. Right? Uh, this guy is a Greek. Okay? And then you've got this list, right? The five guys: Syncretus, Phlegon, Hermes, uh, Petrobus, Hermas, and other brothers and sisters. These are all Greek names. Okay? It's not about the one ethnicity. It's not about the one Jewish group of people that are meant to go and do the work of God in all the nations. No, God through the work of Jesus Christ has has conquered that wall, has conquered that divide. The gospel work is for everyone but it's for everyone to go to everyone. Okay? We need to understand that. Thirdly, Paul says hello and greets slaves. In a society where slavery was accepted and the social divide between the people uh, was real. You know, like slaves, like, you know, we, we talk about modern day slavery. And sadly, it still exists whether that be human trafficking, sex slavery, labor trafficking. You know, slavery still exists in our world. You know, But, but we live in a society that looks down on slavery. We, we, we do whatever we can to rid slavery in the world that we live in today. But back in that society, slaves were just accepted. It was just a, a part of life. And yet, Paul acknowledges the slaves that are part of the gospel work in Rome. Now, you gotta understand. Now, Paul isn't just some guy. He, he, he was a top-notch Pharisee. He was well-recognized, one of the top guys in the Jewish community. And he's saying hello and thanking the slaves. Uh, people like uh, Amphilitus. he was a slave. Narcissus. Narcissus was a slave. Narcissus was a slave to the emperor, emperor Claudius. The thing I learned about this was, uh, slaves are slaves, right? And when you go social status, you, you have, you know, people that are free and people that are slaves. But one of the things that we, we, I guess I, I learned this week was, back in the day, slaves had a lot of influence too, because they would be in the ears of their masters. They would be advising their masters. And we see, uh, especially uh, in the case of Narcissus, he was really influential to the emperor of Rome. What she's showing is, regardless of social standing, God chooses to work through all. It's not just about ethnicity. It's not just about what job you have. It's not just about what pay uh, bracket that you're a part of. God can use anyone and everyone for the sake of the gospel free or slave. Finally, and this is an interesting group that Paul recognizes, is he recognizes families. He recognizes households. Okay? Uh, and uh, Priscilla and Aquila, uh, they're pretty famous. If you read the book of Acts, they get mentioned a few times. And they're, a, they're a couple, husband and wife couple. Uh, Philologus and Julia, they're a couple. Paul recognises them and then Paul recognises some households the household of aristobulus the household of narcissus uh, we meet rufus and and you know rufus is a fun one to get to because he's got a fun name right but actually if you study who rufus is it's really interesting rufus is the son of a guy called uh, simon of cyrene Right, Rufus is the son of Simon from Cyrene. Everyone's like, "Well, who's Simon from Cyrene? Why is he important?" Simon of Cyrene was the man, the non-believing man, that carried the cross of Jesus when Jesus couldn't carry the cross. Right, and I was like, "Wow, this is amazing!" Right, small world, you know, <laughs> you know, you know. you know. So Rufus's mother. Right, is the wife of Simon the Sirene. Like, you know, in the Passion of the Christ, right? I don't know if you guys remember, I tried to find the photo, I couldn't find it. Simon the Sirene's the dude that is like looking at Jesus when the when the, the Roman soldiers grab him and go, Hey, you carry the cross instead of Jesus. And he looks into the eyes of Jesus with so much anger and hatred. And yet, we know uh, through, through because of history and historical writing, Simon the Cyrene, through that becomes a believer. He he comes to the faith and he comes to believe in in the man whose cross he carried. Now, starting from him, his wife, who is you know the mother of the son, and then his son Rufus. See what's amazing is this. Sometimes we feel like, and and can I tell you, this this is an absolute lie, and I need to just get rid of this, especially in our church. A lot of people think that God can use me when I'm single. God can use me when I'm married. But as soon as I have kids, God just wants me to raise kids well. Can I tell you, that's a lie. That's a lie. That is not from God at all. God can use your family. God can use your toddler. God can use your one-year-old. And you as a family unit for the sake of the gospel work of Jesus Christ. It's because we have believed or we have put these families into these holes and go, well, you're a family. You can't be effective. You can't be used by the God. No. Paul says households. Paul says couples. Paul says families. Families are really important. Really important in the gospel work. There are other families that are mentioned. Andronicus and Junia, they're actually uh, cousins of, blood cousins of Paul. Right? So if you have a cousin, okay, they can be used for the gospel. As said, Tryphena and Tryphosa, twin sisters, and then Rufus and his mother. These are all examples of how families are used for the sake of the gospel work. I was thinking about this, and I remember um, a friend of mine, who became a believer in university. Uh, and, and, you know, praise be to God for that. And then around the same time, his older sister also came to know Jesus. And, and you know, the, their parents were not believers. And after each of them got married, they both sat down and they talked about, well, look, if I go to this church, and, and they were going to different churches, and they said, if we keep going to different churches, it's going to be hard for our parents. It's going to be hard to reach out to our family. And so what they both decided was, okay, we're going to attend the one church. And we're going to tell our parents, if you want to see your grandchildren more, come to church with us. Right? So they started. And through that, their parents started coming to church. And through that, the parents came to meet Jesus. It's amazing how God can work through families. I've heard of so many stories of these young families, you know and young it's it's hard being a young family when you've got toddlers, you know we've been through that, we're about to go through that again, you know but what families have is they have this stability, yeah, you know, I believe that one of the reasons. Uh, that this church is where it is at the moment is because, not because God used me or not because God used my wife, but I really believe that God used our family years and years ago when our, when our kids were a lot younger. You know, when, when, when we were a church, at our previous church, when we were about 15 to 20 people, all university student, students, no one was working, you know, everyone was just doing nothing, and they just came to our house every day. Every day they came and they ate. Every day they came and ate. That's all they did. They came, they ate, and then there were instances where they you know, relieved themselves as well. You know, like, That's all they did at my house. And, and, and you know, I look back there and I go, wow, that wasn't the ministry of me. That wasn't the ministry of my wife. That wasn't the ministry of my kids. That was our ministry as a family. God uses families. God uses households. Why, why, why does Paul mention these four groups? Why is this important for us to know? It's because in the kingdom of God, everyone is important for the sake of reaching everyone. This morning, I got to, uh, the opportunity to preach at the Chatsu Church of Christ. And these two ladies were getting baptized from their Mandarin service. And they were sharing their testimonies in Mandarin. And there's some uh, one of the brothers was uh, translating it into English. And I was listening to these testimonies about how through the church and how through the pastors, they became to know Jesus and now they want to live for Jesus. And they're sharing this in Mandarin. And I'm thinking to myself, if the Mandarin church did not exist, there is, how hard would it be for someone like me to go and share the gospel in Mandarin? I just couldn't do it. And it just reminded me uh, that this gospel work, which is so important, that it's to go to all the nations, that God is going to use anyone and everyone. To go out. And that includes you. That includes you. That includes you in whatever setting you're in. That includes you in whatever circumstance you're in. You know, a lot of people say, you know, I've I, I only been coming to church for a very short time. I, I don't really know too much about the Bible. I don't really, you know, I'm not that confident. And it's like, well, you got to start somewhere. You know, if you have three weeks of knowledge, then you can at least share those three weeks of knowledge with someone. Because can I tell you, there are people in your circles, in your spheres of influence, that I will never have the opportunity to meet. They will never walk through these doors. Okay? It might be a geographical issue. It might be an ethnicity issue. It might be a language issue. There are people in your workplaces that I will never, ever meet, ever. And that's okay. Because you're there. Because God's going to use you in your strength and weakness. You don't have to be the pastor, a leader. You don't have to have certain skills or talents. God can use you for his kingdom. What's interesting is we see some phrases that are, that are used to describe the attitudes of these people that, who were who partnering with Paul in the gospel. And I wanted to just make a quick note of this. Verse 4, they risked their lives for me. Verse 6, greet Mary who worked very hard for you. Verse 12, the twins, these women who worked hard in the Lord. Greet Purses, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Now, Paul isn't writing this to boost their ego. Paul's not writing this to go, on, look how awesome you are. No, Paul's just writing to what he knows and what he has experienced. That these people who partner with Paul, they went all out for the sake of the gospel. It wasn't a part-time job. It wasn't an option. You know what's challenging is, I wonder if Paul would write that about us. I wonder what Paul would say if he was writing a letter to the chapel, Sydney, and he wrote down your name. What would he say? What would he say next to your name? Would he say things like, they worked hard? Would he say they were sacrificial? Would he say they would lay down their life for their brother and sister? Or would he say, I've only really met them once? Would he say, will they come into service and they leave before anyone can say hello? Would he say, they, they, they earn a lot of money and they don't really give? We can all be a part of this story. We all are a part of the gospel story, you and I. But what what God, uh, what Paul would write about it, well, that's up to you. That's up to you. They were, they were ready to be used. They were focused. They knew what the goal was of gospel work, and they were willing to go the extra mile. I wonder if that's the same for us. In verse 17, Paul goes on and he says, Not everyone that he ran into was like this. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause division and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them, for such people are not serving our Lord uh, Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I rejoice because of you. But what I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. Paul warns the church. He warns the church. Not everyone is on your side. Not everyone is good for you. And I think this is very relevant to our society. I think this is very relevant to our church. We call them wolves in sheep's clothing. People bringing their own thoughts and agendas, trying to break up the work of God. And some people they don't do it. or well, Some people do it uh, deliberately. All right? We've heard stories of these cults, anti-Christ cults, and they plant themselves in church and they've got a three to five year plan of how to break up the church. It's crazy. It's insane. But some people do it unknowingly too. They turn up, they enjoy the church, they enjoy the people, but instead of the gospel message being the goal, they have their own goals. They have their own agendas. They have their own thoughts. What Paul says is stay away from them. Would you know? Would you know if someone came in and and started saying heresy, uh, meaning uh, teachings outside of What Jesus has said. And what would you do if someone said that? Would you stand up and fight? Would you stand up to correct? Or would you just, Mm. maybe, would would you even believe it? We must be diligent in making sure that our focus does not change and does not sway with the winds of society, but that we are focused on the unchanging message that is the gospel. Paul responds to these people in verse 20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. I love that. He just puts that out there, you know. Here's the big picture of it all. All those wolves in sheep's clothing, all those people with their own agendas. Just give us a second because the God of peace will crush Satan. Paul concludes in verse 25 to 27. Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith to the only wise God, be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Man. God, uh, Paul finishes this letter with the main message, and that is Jesus Christ. The message that he proclaims is Jesus Christ. What's the purpose? What's the purpose of this letter? What's the purpose of the message of Jesus? Is to go and save the lost, first the Jew and then the Gentile. This was the mission of Paul. From the day he met Jesus face to face on the road to Damascus till the day he died. And that's not just for Paul, but that's the mission for all of us. As people who have received the gospel, who are transformed by the gospel, who are living out the gospel, our mission is to go and carry this gospel to the ends of the earth. The good news of Jesus Christ, that he has died for your sin. And through that, if you believe in that, you can be right with God. You can have eternal life through him who has saved you. That your works are no good, will never be good. We have fallen short of the glory of God. It is by faith. It's by what we believe that Jesus has done for us that saves us. This is the gospel. This is the main message. Everything else, everything else that we teach, everything else that we preach, everything else that we do in ministry, in life groups, in our Sundays, everything is surrounded on the gospel of Jesus Christ. If, if there is a day if there is a day where there is a part of our church that does not uh, represent the gospel of Jesus Christ, you have every right to come and tell me this is not right. If there is ever a day that our church, that the message of our church moves beyond that Jesus died for your sin, then we have moved from the gospel. But let me flip that and throw that to you. If there is ever a day in your life, in your day-to-day life, in your 24-7 life, where you are not asking yourself, what does the gospel of Jesus Christ mean for me? I'm going to ask you, has it really transformed you? Has it really changed you? The gospel of Jesus Christ is the greatest news ever. You don't just hear and receive the greatest news ever and just go back to life. You don't win Powerball $80 million and just go back to work. You don't get married to the love of your life and then just go back to playing golf unless your wife lets you. You know, you don't, you know, a decision like that, it it must change you. But if the gospel of Jesus has not changed you or does not challenge you to have a transformed life, then I wonder whether you have understood or really received the good news of Jesus. But can I tell you, it is the good news. There is no better news than this because this is the only news that will take you beyond your life. When you die, every other thing that you've heard and every other thing that you learn and every other thing that you have will die with you. But the gospel of Jesus Christ, you will take into eternity, whether you have accepted it or whether you have rejected it. And so as Paul outlines all of this to the church in Rome and says, Believe in Jesus, because it is the good news. I implore you to do the same. That you would consider what Jesus has done for you. That you would consider where you stand with God tonight. And ask yourself, am I right with God? And if you say, yes, I'm right with God. Jesus has, has died for me. I'm going to come and take communion because it means something to me. Well, that's the first step. That's Hallelujah, that's so, that's so great. But then the second step is for those that believe that Jesus has transformed my life, how are you living that out in your life? How is that transforming and translating into the way you live and deal with your life? These are the questions that Paul is asking each and every one of us today. It's the best news. There is no news greater than this. Just pray that you'd be able to see that tonight, that God would give you eyes to be able to see that tonight. Let's pray.